This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Last week I started speaking on Paul's four anchors. And uh, just as a bit of a way of a recap, does anyone remember what the first two anchors were? That's right. Very good. Yes. Responsibility or call of duty, as Gary pointed out, the duty of the call. (laughs) And hope. Hope. These were things that uh, in the life of Paul that give him strength to get through all the things that he went through. We started by reading into the scriptures where it tells you, lists out all of the things that he endured from the shipwrecks to the beatings to the harassment to the starvation to the cold to the threats to everything that he endured. He had to go through all those things, get up every morning and go on the path ahead of him. He had to muster the strength, muster the enthusiasm to go out another day. And he was a normal man like any of us. Yes, he might have been brilliant academically and philosophically and had a grip on God and the word that that we are hoping to attain maybe one day. But he was like us. He still got bruised when they threw the stones at him, maybe even knocked out. He still maybe got hypothermia when he was shipwrecked. We don't know these things, but he was a normal man and he still had to go through them, go through these things. So as I said, the first point I raised last week was the life of Paul, was a life of duty. He's seen his obligation to the church. The key verse there was 2 Timothy 2.10. It says, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they, may also, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's seen this as his responsibility. I have to go on. If I don't go and do this, if I don't serve God, who will? People are watching me from my home church. What are they going to think about the call of God if I don't go? What are they going to think about God's word to me if I ignore it and treat it as a light thing, as a trivial thing? And as I said last week, it is a difficult reality that we have a duty and an obligation to God and to each other. It smells of religion, as I said last week, but it's important for us to remember that. We walk sometimes too much in grace. Grace is wonderful and I love grace. Absolutely love it. Without it, where would we be? But we need to remember we've got a responsibility. We still walk in this world. We've still got to be accountable one to another. Accountable to our husbands and wives and to our children and to our friends and neighbors. And accountable to Almighty God, whom we serve. Are we not a royal priesthood? The priesthood serve God on behalf of the people and we'd serve God on behalf of each other. The second point I raised last week was hope. This was, this was Paul's second anchor that kept him to the task, that kept him sure-footed amongst the storms and things he went through. And the key verses was in Romans 5. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
Paul's hope. And for Paul, hope was based not on just something that merely happened centuries ago to the children of Israel, but Paul's hope was based on a living relationship with God, on that change and on that impact of God in his life. When Jesus came into his life and saved him, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he knew that God is real. He knew that God loved him and that God cared for him. He had that assurance that God is a good God and God loves him. He had that assurance. And his hope was based on that relationship, not just merely something academic, but on a living experience with God. And as he went through hardships, just like Abraham, as he went through hardships, his hope grew. God got me through that one. Oh, I, I know he can, he can get me through the next one. And it's a wee bit bigger. Oh, God will get me through this one because he got me through the last one and so on. So we've seen how hope was an anchor for the life of Paul and how important it was for us as well. Praise the Lord. So this week we come to the second two anchors. Two anchors which are, one of them's not surprising and one of them is. You know, um, Paul needed both of these, all four of these in his life. And I've gone to great lengths to look at scriptures that, about Paul. It would be easy for me to pick out four subjects and say that these were the anchors in someone's life and then not mention this person in the context of these anchors. You know, the verses I've just read there about duty was from Paul writing to Timothy. That was what Paul said himself. About hope, it was Paul writing to the church at Rome. It was about what he actually said. So when we come to the next anchor, which is prayer, I'm not just going to say what Paul said about prayer or what the Bible says about prayer. We're going to focus on how important it was in the life of Paul how he viewed it. So it is a wee bit of an academic exercise to begin with because I'm going to read a bunch of verses. And when I started to look into this, it is fascinating to see how important prayer was to Paul. It's fascinating to see how much he depended on prayer, how vital it was for him. Now, we know that he was brought up in the greatest rabbinical school in, of them all in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamil. We know that he was rabbinically trained and for the rabbis, prayer was vital to their lifestyle. It was vital to everything that they did. Remember the rabbi stood on the street corner and said, Lord, I thank you, I'm not as other men. For them, it was an act that was built up in their attempt to acquire holiness, their attempt to seem other from the normal person in the street. It was something in them that, that was designed and taught into them to try and, you know, we got to do this. The spontaneity and the, the, the uh, spontaneity of prayer and the, the offhand and relaxed manner of prayer had almost been done away with. It had become a root and a tradition. And the famous prayers that they often prayed was the Shema, the Shema of Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. Our God is one. They prayed that over and over again in the morning and in the evening. They had rituals for prayer. They had prayers every time they ate. They had prayers every time at a birth, set prayers that they would say at a death, at a marriage. They would go through their traditions and they had this way of doing it. And Paul was steeped in that and he knew that. But it was very different from his prayers after his conversion. It's a very different world for Paul, prayer, after he has come to know Christ. The first time we read of Paul is actually at, the at uh, Stephen's stoning, at his martyrdom. 
We read of Paul standing there as, as Stephen is challenging them and he's preaching a sermon, which is really getting on their goat. It's really aggravating them because they're listening to what he's saying and they're going like, you know, that, that sounds true. That, that, he's making a lot of sense here. You know, he's, he's, doing the, he's, he's saying the right thing. He's not saying anything here that's wrong. And actually, the truth is that the Holy Spirit was challenging them because of their beliefs. It was challenging them because they had twisted the scriptures and they had made it into something that it wasn't. They'd made it into a religious organization and they had hardened their hearts and they stiffened their necks. And it actually says that they covered their ears and they ran at Stephen as one and they stormed him. And it says that they threw their coats at the feet of Paul or Saul as he was then. And it says that, 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 that Stephen, as he was being stoned, he says he turned his eyes to heaven and he prayed. Saul heard his sermon. Saul seen him pray. This was a prayer quite unlike anything he had ever encountered before. Quite different. Because this wasn't a judgmental prayer. This wasn't a self-arrogant prayer. This was a prayer, prayer of relationship, a prayer of honesty. And that's where Saul comes into the scene. We all know about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and how that he was blinded. And you remember that Ananias was sent, or, was sent to find him in the streets? And it says in Acts 9, 11, So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. For behold, he is praying. Paul received his calling to the Gentiles while praying intently in the temple. It says in Acts 17, 17, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for we, they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Go to the Gentiles, it goes on to say there. Paul fasted and prayed and the Holy Spirit placed him in ministry. Acts 13, 2, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the congregation together, the Holy Spirit said, now separate me, Paul, Barnabas, and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. It keeps popping up. Prayer keeps popping up in the life of Paul. As I said, these are examples from his life of when he prayed and when he was involved in prayer. This wasn't an ac academic exercise. This wasn't merely a sermon that he was preaching. This was a lifestyle. When we think of prayer, we think of Daniel and his prayers and how he would go three times a day and face Jerusalem and pray. We think of him how boldly, confidently, going praying despite the, the, the edicts from the king, he would still pray to God. We think of Daniel, but do we think of Paul? Paul who knew the value of prayer he'd been taught the importance when he was young and now that he had come to know Christ he knew the vitality of it and the value in it all through his ministry over and over again he prayed he sought God even when it came to the appointment of leaders in local churches prayer and fasting accompanied their deliberations Acts 14, 21, it says, And when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra 
Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts 16, 13, it says, on the Sabbath day, we went down Uh, We went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Opportunities came along his way when he prayed. Prayer transformed his, his ministry because now it was a living prayer with a real God that he was in relationship with. He could go to God at any time and pray about the things that concerned him. I've prayed many times in the prayer meeting, thank you, Lord, that we can come before you and pour out our hearts, that we can give him our worries and our concerns and voice them to him, whether we say it audibly or we say it in our hearts. We pray to God and we give him all our concerns, asking him to be involved in them asking him for help in them, asking them for strength in them. We don't read too many places where it actually says what Paul prayed in scripture. What we do read is requests for prayer. In fact, one commentator goes as far to describe the ministry of Paul as a dynamic ministry, which involved a triangular relationship between God himself and the churches for which he was responsible. Effectively, Paul had built up through these churches and through the letters, he'd built up a prayer network. Over and over again, he asks them to pray for me. Pray for the ministry. Pray that the gospel will go out. Pray that lives will be touched and changed and transformed. We're familiar with the idea that the letters of Paul were not written to a specific church He wouldn't have written a letter to Moira Pentecostal. He would have written a letter to the church in Moira. So then that letter would then have been passed around and it would have gone to the Baptist church and the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church and the Church of Ireland and then the Pentecostal church. In those days, it probably would have been more like the church at Gary's house, the church at Evelyn's house, the church at Norma's house and David's house, the church, you know, that's the way. And it would have gone round them all. So they all would have read the letters of Paul. And Paul coveted the prayers of the people of God because our prayers matter, especially for the person who's in ministry. I, I, I know my mom and dad. I, I, I am so thankful for my parents my mom last night sent me a text and it was encouraging and it was I'm praying for you, believe God, let go and let God and all that type of thing. And it was wonderful to know that they're praying for me. And for us, isn't it wonderful to know whenever we're going through hardships and we're going through difficult times that you're on someone's heart, that God has burdened their heart for you and that you're praying for them and that you're bringing their petition. Here is someone who's in crisis, oh God. Here's someone who's in a desperate situation. Lord God, won't you bless them? Doesn't it encourage you when you hear of that? Encourage us when we know that a brother and sister is coming alongside, maybe not physically, but spiritually coming alongside. Paul activates over and over again, he activates a prayer network. Nowadays we do it with texts. 
would do it with emails or WhatsApps or whatever, Facebook or whatever. In those days, they wrote letters. Romans 15, verse 30 says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. Paul, the spiritual giant who strode through the scriptures of the Old Testament, translating it in terms of Christ, yet he calls out to the brethren who didn't know anywhere near as much saying, pray for me. Because prayer is not about what you know, it's about who you know. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. You know, I remember when I was in Bible college, I remember them talking about prayers and them talking about someone speaking and they said, you know, sometimes we've got, you know, we're so enthusiastic or so caught up in what we say or we're so sometimes so caught up in what we pray that we get carried away and, you know, oh, thank you, Father, for dying on Calvary. No, it wasn't the Father, you know, and they said that in the Bible college, they pointed that out. They said, listen, if you hear that, ignore it. It's the enthusiasm. You know what he meant? So too, whenever we pray, if we make mistakes, just keep praying. If you make mistakes, just keep praying. Because it's about, not about what you know, it's about who you know. Amen. And as we get into the word, we can pray more intelligently and we can pray more <laughs> articulately. But just the cry of the heart, oh God, won't you help us? Won't you help someone over here? Won't you help someone that's going through something? Paul, the spiritual giant, wanted the believers to up, cooperate with him, cooperate in the ministry. We think of cooperation. I'm going to cooperate with that missionary over there by sending them some money. That's, yes, that's cooperate. But we can also cooperate in prayer. Whenever we hold up one another in prayer, we hold up those who are going out and those who are taking the message, hold them up in prayer. Paul knew this. He coveted the prayers. He loved to hear it whenever they came. Remember the time in the scriptures? My goodness, I should have looked this up. The scriptures were such and such had come to me and he brought word of your, your, your prayers for me. He brought word of you were thinking about me. He brought word of your love for me. How that must have encouraged him. Paul, who faced many things alone. No one could imagine the, the burdens that he had. The, the stresses that he had. Yes, he had sometimes people with him, but he was out on the front lines at the cold face. And he knew what a wonderful encouraging it was to know, oh, there's people who are praying for me. There's people who are standing there in the gap with me. What a privilege. What a privilege. We might not speak to hundreds of people or thousands of people. We might not do that, but we can stand beside them in prayer and encourage them and hold them up. We might not have personally have a terminal illness or a sickness, but we can stand beside them in prayer and say, Lord, won't you strengthen them? Won't you build them up? Won't you hold them up? We might not face other things, but we can still stand beside them in prayer. Second Corinthians 1, 9, it says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from, the, from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he shall deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given 
by many persons on your behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So there, people down the line in eternity will know you've been praying for me. I certainly know, as I've said, when my parents are praying for me, when I'm going through something, how important it is. There's times where I've asked Sharon, you know, can you, can you pray with me? You know, I don't want to sound super spiritual, but let's be, is it this spiritual? Listen, I need, I need, I need. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to ask one another for prayer. Someone we're close to, someone we're related to. Because we've all been planted in this vineyard. We are all brothers and sisters. We have all been adopted into his family. I was at the funeral of my aunt on Monday there. And it was, it's, 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 it's tough going to the funeral, especially if they're related and they're very close to them. I wasn't as close over recent years, but I still loved my aunt, Ruby. And we're sitting there and my mum and dad, my mum's one of 11. And this, someone put on Facebook, 11, seven left. Uh, but she knew Christ. And you're sitting there and I was looking and as, as they, they lowered the coffin and as they dropped, each of the family dropped a red rose on the coffin. I thought to myself, you know, there's, you know, yes, they all might be needing walking sticks now and they might be needing a hand to rest upon. But take them back 60 years. One of the playmates is gone. Someone who they loved dearly. Someone they grew up with. Had a hard time with, yes, at times, I'm sure. But they were close with. And when we look around at those beside us today and we think, that's my brother, that's my sister. We look at them and we should think of them in the same way. They are the ones in our family. We are family. And it is an honor and a privilege to, to be family together. And it is a gift of God in our lives. And it is right that we should encourage each other. And it is right that we should pray for each other. It is right that we should bring each other's petitions before the Lord in prayer. It is right that we should gather together to ask God to bless someone in need and to hold them up. For Paul, this was vital. He knew how important it was in his life to, to have people praying for him, to have people reaching out, people standing in the gap for him. He knew how important it was to bring his eyes from the storms that were going on around him and to gaze upon the face of Christ and pray. Sounded a bit like a mystic there. But he knew how important it was to turn his eyes away from the things of this earth and turn them to Christ again. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. There's a hint of urgency in Paul's writing at times. Pray for me that, as he goes on there in that verse, it says, praying with all supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel uh, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I'm in the middle of something. Won't you pray for me? Won't you get on your knees now and seek God for me? Maybe not that God will deliver me from it, 
but that God will give me the strength to get through it. More often than not that we see in scripture when Paul's praying, it's help me to get through this. It's, I need strength. I need God's wisdom. I need protection. Please pray that God will strengthen me. If it was easy to pray, why bother? For Paul, it wasn't easy. It was tough and he needed it, but he knew he needed it. He knew it was important. He, Paul made a point of maintaining prayer as a firm anchor in his life. Coming to Christ, prayer had only become more important because it was no longer speaking in the wind, no longer just praying and wondering if he was good enough for his prayers to be heard, no longer wondering if he was holy enough, if God had seen some indiscretion of his. Now that he had come to a living relationship with Christ and he knew the power of Christ at Calvary that had cleansed him of all unrighteousness, that had now made him right before God. Yes, he was still a work in progress, but he knew the living relationship with God. So now his prayers were more alive. They were more spontaneous. They were more in touch with God and more intimate. His prayer for boldness and courage, because he knew what was coming. He knew what he'd have to face. They're going to be hostile to me in the synagogue later when I'm down preaching about Jesus. Please pray that I'm going to be bold. Please pray that I've got the confidence to say what needs to be said. Please pray that I I, I give a good account of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and what he's done for me. Please pray that I communicate the grace of God and not just the legalism which they're familiar with and which they'd they'd tick the boxes with legalism. Please pray that I'm able to do it with grace seasoned with salt. If he needed it, how much more do we? How much more do we need it? And not just when we're going through things, but maybe whenever we're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with a loved one or with someone else. Christmas is coming. We're going to have a few people around to pray, dear Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, to have confidence. Maybe not to ram it down their throat, but to mention Christ or to pray over the, the table. Please, Lord, help me, Lord, to have the the confidence to to tell them about what you did at Calvary and the judgment, as, as Martin pointed out last Sunday night, the judgment that you could have been under. Now that Christ has come, there is a way. There's a way. Lord, help me have the confidence. And it's okay to pray that. It's okay to pray that. Paul had different types of prayers, prayers for help where he sought, <laughs> sought the help of the church. He prized the prayers of the saints. It was not an exercise of goodwill or good emotion. Oh, we're thinking good thoughts of you. It was not an exercise about that. This was genuine, honest calling upon God on his behalf. Please seek the face of God for me. Please pray that God will lead me. God will guide me. God will open up doors of ministry for me. Please pray that people's hearts will be touched. Please pray that I'll say the word in season to them. He was praying the same things himself and he sought them to pray, come alongside and agree with him. In Philippians 1.19, it says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. 
2 Timothy 2, 2. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So he wants us to be a praying people. What does Jesus say? My house shall be a house of prayer. We come together and we pray individually and corporately. It's important that we get back to it. It's important that we realize the, the value in it. As I said at the beginning, the fact that this revolutionary apostolic activist, I love that weak phrase, whose ministry turned the world upside down, drew great power from prayer, has been largely overlooked. Yes, they know he encouraged people to pray and what he taught on prayer, but he sought the prayers himself for the work of the ministry. He sought the prayers for his own life. Strengthen me. Give me boldness. And it's okay to do that. But it was, for him, it was such a vital part of his ministry. Paul's life and ministry was permeated by prayer. The constant requests for churches to stand together with him in prayer. The specific prayer requests over and over. Paul had learned the value of prayer not only in his own life, but in the lives of those whom he had been a spiritual father to. This was a huge anchor in his life, a stabilizing factor amidst all the things that he would face. He is encouraging us to pray. Prayer matters. Prayer changes us. Prayer focuses us. Prayer helps us to deal with the stuff of life. Prayer gets God involved. Prayer is a conduit through which God sends strength, grace, and peace. He encourages them over and over and over again. Pray, pray. Keep that relationship with God vital and living. Vital and living. Not just taking in from the word, which is good, but it has to be a two-way street. We have to pour out to him. We have to pour out to him on behalf of each other and on behalf of ourselves. Lord, here's what's going on. Roll your cares upon him. Roll your burdens upon him. Pour out our hearts to him because he is ever ready to listen, <coughs> ever willing to take a moment. And we can all pray at the same time because he's God, he can hear us all. And it's wonderful. <coughs> if Christianity was outlawed tomorrow, Bibles were confiscated, Apps were deleted. Do you think we'd all learn how to pray? Do you think our prayers would be vital? Do you think they'd be desperate? I guarantee you within a week, we'd all be great prayer warriors. I guarantee you within a week, we'd be transformed. I guarantee you. <laughs> if prayer's all you've got, you don't have the word of God, so I'm gonna pray to God. And you know what? The Spirit will stir that up, stir up what's in there stir up the words that we've had over the years. And sometimes, I know in my case, it might only be a part of a phrase or a part of a verse, but it'll come back to you. It'll come back to you. That's wonderful. I think it was Spurgeon who said that prayer is the breath of the soul. You're faced with a storm you can't handle, pray. Faced with a giant you cannot deal with, pray. Faced with a hurdle you can't jump over, pray. Faced with whatever in your life, Pray. Know someone who's facing something? Pray. Don't even wait to be asked. Pray for them. Pray for them. 
hold them up in prayer. There's people in here today who've gone through things, who've gone through terrible things, who are still going through things. And it's absolutely wonderful that we can come alongside, not because our prayers are different from their prayers, but because we are family. We are the children of God and we can come together and say, Lord, help them. Help them in the midst of this storm. You're the God who sees all, the God who knows all, the God who's in control, the God who is the God of infinite resources, the God who is God. Lord, just strengthen today. Lord, just touch them today. Lord, just won't you you heal them in their body today? Won't you give them a bit of help at the moment, Lord, what they're going through? Help them, oh God. It's wonderful that we do that. It's wonderful we do that. How wonderful is it when a parent sees their two kids, one put the arm around the other and talk to them, comfort them? How wonderful is it whenever we reach out? How did God think when we reach out and we pray for someone? Not a stranger. We can pray for strangers, which is good. Pray for people in other churches, which is good. But when we pray for someone in our family here, in this part of the vineyard, we lift them up in prayer, encourage them. See, Paul knew who he was praying to. He was in a living relationship with him. He was in a vital relationship with him. He knew that it was Jesus who came to earth, but he knew it was God of the creation. 2 Timothy 6.15, it says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in an unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. This is God we're coming before. No prayer is too big for God. No prayer is too small for God. Paul knew this. Pray for me that I've got boldness. But Paul, don't you know, we've heard how you stood up to the Pharisees in in Iconium. What do you need prayer for in Lystra? I need prayer in Lystra as well, because I'm going to have to do it again. But Paul, we know you've had a shipwreck. What do you need prayer for this shipwreck for? But uh, there's three three in total he's going to face. Keep praying. Keep lifting each other up. Paul lived in a continual state of consciousness of God continual consciousness of God his thoughts kept circling back to God circling back to who God was circling back to what Christ had done for him in Calvary kept circling back to them things why because he kept praying he kept going back to the word he kept going onto his knees and saying now you come before the God the one immortal God the God of all the universe he kept circling his mind back to those back to God through his prayers And he could face, as a result, all the things that he would face because he had this anchor, a vital anchor. It's not a dead anchor. It was a living anchor that he could hold on to. And it's wonderful. So we've had duty, we've had hope, and we've had prayer. Paul's on pretty stable ground now. He's he's well planted. He's facing what comes against him. And so are we when we've got those things in our lives. We can have confidence. We can have assurance. Hardships, pain, suffering, yes. <laughs> Difficulties, yes. I have to be said, what our idea of suffering and hardships is very, very different. But Paul had a fourth anchor that he came to. Something for him which was the, the top of the pile that was the most important. 
And the fourth anchor for Paul was the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Praise the Lord. There's echoes in what he's saying there from Romans 1.16, where he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask us to turn to a verse. There were so many verses when it came to the anchor of prayer there that I thought you'd be flicking to this, reading one verse, flicking to that, reading one verse. So I do, want, I do think it's important that we open the scriptures and we, we, we read together. So if you continue on where we started there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Whenever you hear someone preaching, it's, it's good to either write down the scriptures or to get the podcast and listen to it again and check it out. Check it out for yourself to know whether these things be true. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. We'll start at verse 18, which is the one I've just read there. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Worldly wisdom didn't lead them to God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. We're very familiar with the, with the books of Corinthians. The church had become very carnally minded, very much focused on themselves and their position amongst each other and what they could get away with under grace. They were very carnally minded. And Paul in this passage is, is teaching them that this is not about you. This is about God. This is about the cross of Christ. You need to get your focus off those things that is licensed and onto the God who is the God of salvation, the God of redemption. You need to get your, your thoughts off those things you can get away with and the thoughts that the world approves of. You need to get your mind off those and onto the things that God approves of and that God delights in. And it's good for us to be reminded of these things as well. That to Paul, the cross was more than merely an event in history that happened, well, for him, it wasn't 2,000 years ago, but for us, it's more than just what happened 2,000 years ago. It represented more than knowledge or a one-time event, but the cross of Christ was a template, a press or a mold. It was an active agent in the life of the believer. It was something that was transforming Paul, and he believed that it would transform us 
as we embraced the cross and all that it symbolized, as we understood what Christ had done at Calvary and all that he had endured, it would transform us and change us. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul understood that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He talks of death and caring about the, the body, of the, dying, uh, the body uh, of the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not claiming that his sufferings and the things that he was going through even compare to what Christ went through. He's not saying that. He's not even putting what we would go through in our lives on the same plateau of pain my pain might be a number one right now. Uh, his is number 10. He's not, he's not doing that. Uh, he's not claiming that they even compare, but that through his sufferings, he's being worked on. He's being molded into the image of Christ. As he struggles with things for the sake of the gospel, the cross is creating in Paul a spirituality and eternal perspective, which is important. He looks at those things which can be seen as, you know, we look at those things and we, he could look at those things that he goes through and, you know, oh, the boat's gonna sink. This is important. But he kept saying, but in light of Christ, in light of Calvary, in light of the things that he endured and the message, they're not that important. This storm that I'm facing in my life, it's catastrophe. It's disaster. It could derail my life for years to come. But it's not that important in light of eternity. It's working in me. It's transforming me. It's given me a need and a dependency for God that I wouldn't have had otherwise. It's changing our way of thinking of things. It's changing our values. And that's what the cross does. It changes us. Didn't we come to Christ, some of us, with dynamic and exciting testimonies about how Christ found us and changed us? Paul's old man is dying. His desires for self-gratification, for self-aggrandizement. I was at the best university in the world. Surely I should be on the biggest pulpit of the world. Those desires were dying as old man, his, his desires for self-promotion. I was a Jew of the Jews of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, the tribe of Benjamin, what a great tribe. Oh, I'm named after Saul, the first king of Israel. Oh, the tribe of Benjamin. These desires to him, these were like, what? In light of eternity, in light of what Christ has done, they didn't matter. Even at times, his desires for self-preservation, preservation, those type of things, you know what? The message is important. Christ is important. The cross is important. I need to keep going. I need to keep working through this. I need to keep struggling on. As the old, old military general once said, when you're going through hell, keep going. The cross is transformative in our lives 
transformed us when we came to Christ, and it continues to change us. We don't think of it in terms of that. We think it's just the Holy Spirit, and it is, but it's a realization of Christ. And a little bit later, when we come to the, to the communion table, what are we doing? We're bringing our minds back around to that. We're being transformed, and we should be transformed. If I'm the same way I was last year, I'm stuck, or I'm dead. I'd rather be stuck than dead, but either one's not very good. This idea is reinforced again and again by Paul. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Do we ever think of a storm or a, a stoning or a, a, as a transformative experience? God's working on me. It's not a very popular message. It's not a, pop a very popular idea that God wants to change me, that God will use anything to change me. But didn't he do that in the Old Testament to the people of God? Didn't he send in the Babylonians and the Assyrians to teach them lessons? Didn't he send them to Egypt? Yes, to preserve life. Yes, to, to do something to judge them or whatever. But he's also trying to change them, to break their stiff necks, to soften their hard hearts. God's, God hasn't left us where we are. He's continually wanting to change us. It's uncomfortable sometimes to think of our struggles and our suffering and the things that we, went, we go through as temporal. But they are. They are. Whatever we're going through, it, it's bad. It's tough. But keep going. You'll look back on it and you'll see how God was there with you all the way. You'll see how your, your brothers and sisters in Christ were standing beside you in prayer. You'll see how you've got through it. What seemed to be the end of the road, you've got through it. Sad to hear of that there man this week whose, uh, was it his two kids were killed, were murdered, and he couldn't handle it. A year later, he took his own life. Sad to hear. Sad, tragic circumstances. Poor man. But he would get through it if he kept going. He sought God, the comfort of God. He would keep going. Keep going. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how noisy it gets with all the other things, keep going. Paul understood this, that it was the cross and it was all about the message of the cross. Galatians 6, 12 said, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with what we've come to call Judaizers, people who were converts from Jerusalem who wanted to bring the law back in a wee bit. They wanted to bring something of, of the, the Judaism back to the church and say, listen, okay, you might all believe now in God, in Yahweh, uh, and in Jesus, the Son of God, but you know, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. It'd be good for all you boys to go out and see the doctor. 
And, and Paul was like, no, you can't do that. You're dead to those things. You're now saved by another covenant that has superseded it. Don't let someone come in and heap on you legalism. Don't let someone come in and tell you how to serve God, how to identify as a Christian. Paul was resisting that. He's concerned that these are external influences that are trying to force believers to believe something other than the gospel and to act in a way that is contrary to that belief. They seek to make the Christians Jews with a twist. But in this passage here, he reinforced the centrality of the cross. In the book of Galatians, he reinforces the centrality of the cross to Paul and to the believer. The world has no right to mold us and shape us, no right to compel you to be circumcised. The compulsion of the world is on the back of velvet threats and punishments. And if you comply, you will not be persecuted. But Paul is saying that along this journey of faith, the world is now dead to him. Its influences are dead to him, and he is now dead to the world. As such, the power and influence it exerted is now broken and of none effect. I might be going through some things, but I can keep going. I can keep going because I've got an eternal perspective. I've got a perspective of the cross that, that is far more important. I'm not going to be affected by these things. I'm not going to be changed by these things to be brought down, I should say. I'm not going to be discouraged by these things. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep moving on the upward way. I'm not going to boast in my ability or in my position or in my reputation, but I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ and what he does and what he has done, I should say. I think the church needs to relearn this message of not being affected by the world, not being conformed to the world's image, not being affected by the popular messages of other churches or in our media outlets or in our movies or in our culture. We should be standing apart from them in what we believe. Yes, we stand in the culture, we walk in this culture, but just as the ship sails through the storm and is untouched, so too should we, because what we've got is a treasure in earthen vessels. We've got a value, we've got something of God, something of eternity. Isn't that what the cross is all about? Something of eternity. Paul saw events and hostility that he received as secondary, not as primary to who he was and to what he was going, what he was experiencing. They were all secondary. I can put through put up with this. It's changing me, it's molding me, but it's not the important thing. It's all about Christ and the cross. He can endure one more shipwreck because he knew Christ had endured and it was working on him. Philippians 3, chapter 8, or chapter 3, verse 8. And by this, we're going to wind up. This is the golden anchor. This is it. This is it. Philippians 3, 8 says, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous, righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained 
or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He was captivated by the cross and what it signified. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on, forgetting that last boat that went under, forgetting the last stoning, the last experience, which was a tragic, which is terrible, Forgetting those things, I gotta keep going. I gotta keep pressing on. It is to attain to Christ, to attain the cross and all that it signifies. This is Paul's great treasure, his golden anchor. Come what may, I'm gonna keep going. Come what may, I'm gonna keep holding on to Christ. Come what may, I'm gonna continue to share my faith with others. Come what may, I'm gonna serve him again today. Come what may, I'm gonna serve him again tomorrow. Do we have that desperation? I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna press on. I'm gonna keep going. We need to be stronger in our faith, believing God for who he is. This is truth. Pastor said a few weeks ago, gird your loins with truth. The truth of God's word, the truth of what God teaches. Keep going. Truth is important. It's worth fighting for. It's worth enduring for. Paul weathered many storms through all that he went through. And these four anchors in his life give him the ability to stand firm to be confident, to face whatever came next day or the next week and to keep going. He has to be admired. I certainly admire him more from studying this. Certainly admire what he went through, that he was willing to, and actually that he wasn't just a superman. Paul's four anchors were duty, hope, prayer, and the cross. We need to drop these anchors in our own lives and wait for the day. The verses that I read initially was Acts 27, 29. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. That glorious day when we will see our Savior face to face, when we behold the one whom our souls love, when we stand before him, who has been faithful, whom we have faithfully served, it'll be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Praise you, Lord God in heaven, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Lord God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you're our rock. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you do not change, that you're the one true and living God, that you're the eternal God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. We thank you, Lord God in heaven, for life that you have given us. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you have saved us, that you've redeemed us, that you've called us by your name. Thank you, Lord God, that we have been adopted into your family, Lord. Thank you, dear God in heaven, no matter what we face in this life, no matter what hardships we face, Lord, no matter what storms come upon us, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. 
We thank you, Lord, that you do not change, Lord. We thank you that you continually reach out to us, Lord, building us up, Lord, seeking our good, O God. We thank you that you are merciful and you're gracious, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you know our frame, Lord. You know what we can endure, Lord, and you're there to strengthen us and lift us up. Lord, we give you honor. We give you glory. We thank you, Lord, for the life of Paul, Lord. We thank you for what he symbolized, Lord, and what he went through, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that he has left behind to teach us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, which makes rich and adds no sorrow. Lord, we just give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. We give you the adoration of our hearts, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that we're in a vital living relationship with you, Lord, and that you speak to us and you lift us up. Lord, we glorify you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you and we glorify you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.